Welcome to Village Church of Gurney Podcast. This week, we continue on in our series, Christ and His Disciples, a study of Luke. The name of the sermon is calling Decreasing Anxiety, Increasing Gratitude. And Pastor David will be preaching from Luke 12, 13 through 34. Let's join Pastor David now. Confession. We have a stuff problem. <laughs> I have a stuff problem. You have a stuff problem. We all have a stuff problem. Um, and I actually don't think it takes much to convince ourselves about that. Uh, we live in a world, we live in a culture, we live in a society uh, where we, it, it almost feels like a fish describing water. Uh, we, we encounter hundreds and thousands of ads on our phone and on billboards and, and directly to our emails about things that we didn't know that we need until we saw them, and now we know I actually do need them. And uh, just, just the other day, I'm walking through Home Depot, finding all the things that I didn't know that my soul needed. <laughs> but now that I see it on the shelf, I, re I do need that. <laughs> We got a stuff problem. Now, I'm going to thread a needle, so hold on to the string. We're going to go right through the eye of this needle. Stick with me. This stuff problem is maybe not the problem you think I'm saying it is. That the problem isn't per se with the stuff. Uh, more of it or less of it. I'm not saying there's any inherent virtue in minimalism. I'm not saying there's any inherent uh, vice in more quantity, help me thread this needle, it's when we reach through the stuff to security. It's when we reach through the stuff for dignity. It's when we reach through the stuff for honor or, or value. It's when we reach through the stuff for what's behind the stuff, joy, fulfillment, happiness, Delight. Do you see the problem? Do you see how it's sneakier than just stuff per se? So I'm not picking on marketers. I'm not picking on Home Depot. I have a couple of runs to make actually hopefully later this week. So I might see you there. <laughs> but it's, it's what's through the stuff. It's what's behind the stuff. It's the soul challenge. It's the soul problem that when we start to reach for some of those soul level needs, dignity, value, worth, fulfillment, joy, security, safety, uh, all of those soul needs, when we look to things, to fulfill those needs, you and I know what happens. Anxiety, uncertainty, we think the stuff is going to provide us security and stability, but ironically, we feel more insecure, more unstable. We think the stuff is going to provide us joy, and for some reason, we feel less fulfilled, less joyful. we got a stuff problem. Uh, and it's not just us, uh, that this problem is not just uh, 21st century um, uh, stuff-saturated culture. Uh, this is a human problem. The, the, the people of God in the New Testament had this same problem too. Meet me. Uh, let's check this out. Luke 12. Uh, today we're looking at uh, verses 13 to 34. Meet me there. Page 1035 if you're using the church Bible uh, provided for you. 
take a look at how deeply rooted this problem is in the reality of what it means to be a fallen human being. Check this out. This is not new to us. We find it right here, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> uh, we don't know a lot about the situation, but that sentence tells us a lot about the situation. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So we got some family dynamics going on here. That in this time, many of you know very well that inheritance, uh, money, stuff, uh, was passed down to the oldest son, who in a way was a steward on behalf of, of the entire family unit and network. So presumably we got a younger brother saying, Teacher, listen, I've got an issue with my brother. He's got his hand on stuff that's mine. And he, and he reaches out to Jesus, some divine intervention to try to unlock and unleash some of the stuff. And you can, you can almost hear the greed dripping through, the impatience, the frustration, the anxiety, the anger, the bitterness. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus responds, uh, Man, who, who made me a judge, an arbitrator over you? We have a stuff problem. They had a stuff problem. So how do we fix it? How do we fix it? And how do we root it out in, in such a way that we're, that we're not just talking about tactics, we're not just talking about habits, we're not just talking about behavior, that we get all the way down to the heart, all the way down to the root of the problem. How do we solve it? How do we resolve it? How do we fix it? Especially in a world where we can't avoid it. We need stuff. We can't escape it. But how do we fix that deep, soul-rooted problem? And it all begins with actually believing something we kind of believe, but we know we don't really believe. <laughs> we have to really, 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 really believe that the good life is not measured by my pile of stuff. The good life... Fulfillment, joy, security, happiness is not measured by my pile of stuff. Tech, cars, square footage, acreage, things with wheels, music, uh, stuff, uh, things to hang in a closet, things to hang on the wall. The good life is not measured by my pile of stuff. And I know what's happening in your heart because it's happening in my heart. We hear that and we say, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. But is it right, we say in our hearts? Is that really true? This is right from the words of Jesus. Look at what he says in this next verse, in verse 15. Jesus said to them, take care, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Or in other words, the good life is not measured by my pile of stuff. We say, amen. But then we say, but, oh, man, you know, I saw someone on the, the highway the other day, and their car pulled up next to my car, and, and I looked over and I thought, all of my problems would disappear if I was sitting in that car, not this car. That car purrs. It, it rumbles. My fenders rumble. 
but that car's rumbling in all the places it's supposed to rumble. And if I was in that car, my goodness, all my, all my problems would melt away. We, we think this, do we not? You're scrolling through your phone, and you realize, you know, it, it is a change of season. You can't just wear summer clothes in the fall time. And, and you know what? There's, a little, uh, there's, a, there's an outfit there that if it was in my closet, oh, all my joys would be satisfied. All my, my life would be complete if I was just wearing that outfit. I mean, this touches all of us. But Jesus says the good life is not measured by the abundance of our possessions. The, the, the height of our pile is not reflective of the depth of our dignity. The height of our pile does not reflect the depth of our joy. The height of our pile does not reflect the depth of our satisfaction and security. I know you know that, and I know we, and I know we don't know that. <laughs> it's a struggle. It's a battle. It's a difficulty. Because through the stuff, we, our soul needs some of these things that we're reaching for. And the reason we know that it's still a problem and still a challenge is you'll start to notice that you still get shocked by the discontent of those who have just a little bit more than you, or you still get shocked by the contentment of those who have just a little bit less than you. Have you noticed that? Someone expresses... Um, anxiety or discontentment or, or unhappiness, and, and you know that they have a little bit more than you, and you're kind of shocked. And you think, what? Why? Why? You, you have all you need, or it seems like it on the outside. Well, why, why are you still so discontent? Or the flip side, someone who's got just a little bit less than you, and they are strangely content. They're strangely fulfilled. And you're wondering, wait a second, what, what am I missing here? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so tied in knots? Do you see how deep the problem goes? Do you notice what I'm saying and not saying? There's no inherent vice in a bigger pile. There's no inherent virtue in a smaller pile. The problem is deeper than that. It can be a challenge for those who have a lot. It can be a challenge for those who have a little. The abundance of your possessions is not the measure of the good life. It's not the measure of your dignity and value and worth and security and safety. And Jesus drives that idea home with a story, with a parable. Look at verse 16. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So we got a farmer who things went well that year. And he thought to himself, now catch this, he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops. What a problem. Verse 18. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and then I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink, be merry. Is that not a summary of the good life? Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, verse 20, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, wh whose will they be? And then Jesus concludes this parable with this statement, verse 21, So is the one who lays up treasures for himself 
and is not rich toward God. And part of what Jesus is sharing through this parable of, of, of a farmer, someone in the agricultural universe, and things went well, and he's got so much, he's out of space to store them all. So he builds bigger barns. He's got the means to do it, the capacity. He just increases the size of the container, fills it up, he says, ah, wonderful, relax, eat, drink, be merry, the good life. But Jesus, part of what he's telling us through this parable is that markets are more fragile than we think. Investments are more fragile than we think. Uh, the numbers in our account are more fragile than we think, and even more so, I am more fragile than I think. I'm more fragile than I think. And if we put all of our eggs in the basket of storing up riches and possessions for security, dignity, value, worth, joy, happiness, if we try to pile all of that in the basket of me, we are investing in something that is not stable at all. We think it's stable. We want it to be stable. But it's not stable at all. Notice what Jesus is saying. It's not, the problem is not so much the stuff. The problem is not so much how much. The question is actually for who? Or, or where is this investment being directed? Where is this stuff being directed? Is it all for me? Did you notice how many times the, the person in this parable says, I and me? The problem here is that this person is living as a functional atheist. This person is living with no regard for God, no regard for others. It's, he's trying to fill his own life with the abundance of his possessions. And God says, today your life is required of you. Now, now where's all your stuff going to go to? That he was rich toward self, not rich toward God. Where is his heart? Where is his investment? Invested deeply so in something that is very fragile, very temporal. Just takes a change of a market. Just takes the uh, change of a supply and demand that twists against us instead of for us. It just takes the fragility of life itself, and it's all gone. The good life is not measured by the pile of my stuff. And once that actually starts to sink in, and I'm right there with you, I'm right there with you. Every time I walk into Home Depot, now I'm discovering, I'm praying the prayer, lead me not into temptation, Lord. <laughs> Deliver me. Deliver me. Pick my aisle, stay in my lane, get my thing, and get out. It's a challenge, is it not? But once we actually start to believe it, once we actually start to realize it and know that, do you know what's going to happen? Anxiety is going to start to decrease. Not because we care less about the things that we need to care about, but because we actually are starting to believe that God cares more. Anxiety is not going to decrease in your life and in your heart because you actually start caring less, because you're starting to become more apathetic. That's not, how the way, that's not how anxiety is going to decrease in your life. It's not caring less about the things that matter in your life. It's trusting that all the things that you care about in this life, God cares infinitely more. He outcares you. And that's the only way that anxiety is going to start to decrease. This is exactly where this passage is going. Look at verse 22. Check this out. Jesus said to his disciples, verse 22, I tell you, 
Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Jump down to verse uh, 25. And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about all the rest. Now, at first glance, I hate this passage, don't you too? Whenever you're, whenever you're angry and someone says, don't be angry, <laughs> or whenever you're impatient and someone says, be patient, <laughs> whenever you're anxious, someone says, hey, stop being anxious. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm not, like, I want to be anxious. And the reason why sometimes these verses can actually be frustrating to us when we're really struggling with anxiety, Jesus, it's, don't be anxious. The answer is not caring less is trusting that God cares infinitely more. There's a whole bunch of stuff in your life that you care about, and you should, and we should. You care about your children, parents and grandparents, do you not? You care about their life. You care about investing in them. You care about positioning them to flourish in this world. Do you not care about them? The answer is not just becoming more apathetic. Apathy is counterfeit peace. You care about your career, do you not? And that's a fine and good thing to care about. You care about your work. Uh, it, it's a, and it's one of the ways that we, that we uh, pour into the, our society and our world and our neighbor. That's a good thing to care about. You care about your health, and that's a fine and good thing to care about. You care about the home that you live in. It's a fine thing to care about. And the way forward to get out of anxiety, to climb out of it, or, or to see light on the other side through it, is not to try to take the path of apathy. Because how many oil changes can we skip before caring less just doesn't work? <laughs> the way of apathy is counterfeit peace, and it's simply not going to work. So how do we do it? We have to know and trust that God cares infinitely more. Look at what it says. This is straight from, from Luke 12. Look at verse 24. Jesus says, look at the ravens. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet, God feeds them. God feeds them. God provides for them. God sees them. God knows them. God takes care of them. And then here it is of how much more value are you than the birds. Uh, different metaphors, same idea. Uh, jump down a few verses. Verse 27, Jesus says, Consider the lilies. Look at the flowers. Look at how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And Jesus takes these two examples, the ravens and the lilies, that if we think our lives are fragile, how much more? The birds, they have no, they have no plan of collecting, of, of making storehouses, but birds don't have barns. They are dependent. If, if anyone understands, give us this day our daily bread, the ravens get it. The birds get it. If anyone understands how fleeting life can be, the lilies of the field get it. That, that spring gives way to the scorching heat of summer, that summer gives way to the fall. 
how much more, if God cares even for the ravens, even for the birds, even for the lilies, how much more does he care for you? How much more is he committed to providing and caring for you? This is what Jesus is saying, that he out cares us. And that's how anxiety is going to start to decrease in our life. And the passage goes on and says in verse uh, 29, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. Who are you seeking? And notice that this isn't just a behavior change. This isn't just a tactic change. If, if you came here today just to hear me say, hey, uh, stop worrying, well, everyone knows that. I know that. You know that. The problem is I don't know how. How do I unlock that? I want to worry less, but I've got to, I've got, I need something that goes much deeper than just behavior change. or tact- This isn't a self-help time and moment. I need something to reach my heart. And that's why Jesus says, uh, um, uh, oh, you of little faith, the end of verse 28. It's not a tactic issue. It's a trust issue. It's not a behavior thing. It's a faith thing. And then Jesus says, look at the nations. They seek after these things. But then God says, but you have a heavenly father. I know you need these, God says. So seek The kingdom first. Seek me first, and I'm going to take care of all these things. All these things will be added unto you. And the reason why uh, Jesus brings in the nations versus God's children, he's he's comparing and contrasting that the nations aren't living as if they have a heavenly father. That if we live without God in our life, whether actually or, or, or just functionally, Uh, uh, if we live as if we have no heavenly father, do you see what the alternative is? You're the provider. You're the sustainer. You have to bank everything on your career. You have to bank everything on your skill. You have to bank everything on on the ups and downs of of markets and supply and demand. And and that means we better get anxious. That means don't take a break. Don't take Sabbath. Don't take rest. Because if it's all up to you, Your future is in your hands. Jesus is saying, the nations do this all the time. Those who are living without a heavenly father do this all the time. But he's saying, but you have a heavenly father. I'm your heavenly father, God is saying. And if you care for these things, uh, if you need these things, and I know you need these things, do you not see that I will provide them for you? Um... This is somewhat embarrassing to admit, but come back with me again to home, my Home Depot trip. Home Depot's making a lot of appearances in this message. Nothing against Home Depot. <laughs> uh, join me in the paint aisle. Some of you have been there. So here I am just the other day in the paint aisle, not overwhelmed because of the choice. I thought choosing ice cream was hard. Huh? No, 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 no. Paint. So, so here I am looking at, you know, 457 shades of antique white. And and I'm and I'm and I'm looking and 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 we're trying to figure out oh man what what should we paint the little office space and and all of a sudden my soul is going to somewhere now I'm bearing my heart so be be tender with me here so all of a sudden I, I'm starting to get anxious why because my mind is is starting to trickle into the future you know someday I'm sure someday at some future time eventually. This is going to be sold. But then I'm thinking, but, but what if I pick the wrong color? What if I pick the wrong color? 
And what if some potential future buyer at some unknown time in the future looks at the little photos and says, nah, let's not do this one. But what if that was the buyer that was going to cause the bidding war that future me needed so that the price would go up and I could provide for my family and all my hopes and all my dreams and all my provision would be satisfied. And here I am in aisle whatever it is looking at paint colors, getting all anxious about future me. (laughs) Do you see what's happening Home Depot has not just become a place where I pick up my paint. It became a place of worship, (laughs) false worship, (laughs) false trust, false security, (laughs) false dreams, false hope. I was living like a functional atheist. I was living as if I had forgotten that I had a heavenly father. I was living if I I forgot that, oh yeah, wait a second, God, remember, he makes our path straight, remember, he provides our needs, he protects, he guides, look at the ravens, David, consider the lilies, David, do you not see that you have a heavenly father who takes care of you? You know how easy it is for our hearts to slip onto, off the railroad tracks of trusting that we actually have a father onto the railroad tracks of, of functional atheism? of of assuming self-lordship. In the moment you and I take the wheel of self-lordship, we are driving a a semi that is too big for us to handle. We think we are driving it, but it is driving us. We think we are controlling it, but it is controlling us. And it leaves us anxious, troubled, all tied up in knots, concerned. We We can't sleep. We can't rest. We can't take time off because we're trying to be lord of our life. Have you been there? Have you been there? How do we decrease that? How do we get a handle on that? We get a handle on it, not by an adjustment of behavior, not by an adjustment of tactic, but by an adjustment of faith. Don't care less, but trust that God cares all the more, infinitely more. And when we start to believe deep down that The good life is not measured by my pile of stuff. Anxiety is going to start decreasing as a result of faith. That I have a heavenly father who walks with me and provides for me. But not only is anxiety going to start decreasing, and that's something that probably we all need to a certain degree, do we not? Not only is anxiety going to start to decrease, but you know what's going to start to increase? Generosity. Generosity. Radical, selfless, Free, fulfilling generosity. Your heart is going to start to transform and evolve into a generous heart for people, for those around you, for others, for your spouse, your family, your children, your your neighbor, strangers. You're going to start to have that anxiety replaced by generosity. This is exactly where the passage goes next. Look at this. Check this out. Verse 32. Fear not. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you see? Increasing generosity. It's not just a change in finance. It's not just a change of habit. It's a change of the heart. 
It's the change of trust. It's the change of where we are investing. We go back to the parable, verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. The question is not how much you have, whether much or little. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, where are you investing it? What's the purpose? What's the end result? Am I investing for me or am I investing for God? For where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And, and, and generosity is going to start to increase the more our hearts are aligned with God's heart. Because the more we see, we don't just need paint on the wall because it's chipping here and there. If we worship, if we worship our stuff, my soul needs it. I'm not going to let it go. I'm not going to get rid of it because my soul needs it. But if my soul has all that I need in Christ, do you see the difference? Why not give it away? Why not sell? Why not be generous? My possessions aren't my own. It's all been given to steward anyway. That, that, that it, in, the, in the grand span of eternity, where is it really going to matter that I'm investing my time, my resources, and even, even my money? When we pour it into God's kingdom, all of a sudden, we start to have a strange kind of contentment and a strange kind of freeness to simply be generous with our time, with our gifts, with your skills, and even your resources, even your money. And this is what happens in the heart, that generosity is the fruit, it's the result, it's the outcome of a heart that truly, truly, truly gets the gospel of God the Heavenly Father pouring out in infinite generosity His love and providing care to you and to me. The answer isn't just be more generous. I say, I can't. I don't know why I can't. I need to look long enough. I need to look hard enough at the gospel. I need to look long enough and hard enough at the Heavenly Father who provides and the more I see that, the more I understand that, the more that I'm not worshiping my stuff and worshiping God, the freer I'm going to be to give it away. To give it away. Or if it breaks, it won't crush me. It might be sad, it might be frustrating, might have to, you know, fix it. But it's no longer going to crush me, it's no longer going to own me. If I have a lot, there's a strange kind of contentment there. Contentment there. If I have a little... There's a strange kind of contentment there. Why? Because I know that my security and dignity and value and joy is not tied to those things. It's tied to God. And if He is the one that I'm worshiping, generosity is going to start to increase as a fruit, a result of a heart that has first and foremost been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've got to look. I've got to look and see just how generous He's been with me. But, and notice, it's not, hey, he's, he's been generous with you, so come on, be more generous. This is not a prodding into obedience. It's a melting to obedience. Why not be generous, the logic goes? Why not reflect the very character that God has, has, has shown to us? Generosity reflects that and, and at the same time, generosity is also a spiritual discipline in a way. It's spiritual exercise for our souls. 
If you, want, if you wonder, I wonder just how much my heart has wrapped around my pile of stuff. You want to know how deeply stuff has got a hold of your heart? Give it away. Give it away. Give something away. And every single one of us, even right now, you're going through a list of the stuff in your house, in your home. Well, I give that away. I give it, oh, but I don't know about that. I, I, I could give a lot away, but there, we've all got it. I'm not going to make you say it. I've got a list, you've got a list. Things that we'd say, Lord, do I have to? My heart's wrapped up in that. My time, my energy, my devotion is wrapped up. Do you really are wanting me to give that away? I don't want to give it away. Every time that we're generous, it's spiritual exercise. It's a spiritual discipline. It's another way that we remind ourselves, he is Lord of my life and I am not. It's another way that we remind ourselves that it's all a gift from God in the first place. And it's all not for me, but for God and for others. It's a spiritual discipline. Notice, even, even the, every time that you're generous, in whatever expression generosity looks like, and I actually want to very much so encourage you, Village Church. I've seen you do this before. There's been projects uh, in the life of Village that we've tackled together as a community where you have expressed a radical generosity. Thank you and keep it up. You're doing this. I've seen it. Projects that we've needed to tackle, and we've said, let's gather around, let's do this. And in an expression of radical generosity, we invest into God's kingdom, and we tackle projects together. Sometimes there's big projects that come along the calendar or the rhythm. Or the ongoing, every single day need, week in, week out, that doing ministry, doing kingdom work requires. Every week, every week, you've noticed, if you've been here uh, around village circles for, for many, many years or just a few weeks, every service, toward the end of our service, in our announcements, we have an opportunity to give, do we not? Don't let, that, don't let that fade into the furniture. Don't let that fade into the background because do you know what that is? It's not just housekeeping. It's not just logistics. It's a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual discipline because I don't know about you, every time I sit down to adjust the budget, every time I release some of the resources that God has first given to me, it's a spiritual discipline for my heart. It's a reminder. I trust you, Lord. I trust you. So I'm going to give this away as in an expression of trust. Ever sat down and adjust, adjusted your budget? There's a pain point, is there not? <laughs> Do you know what that pain point is? It's where faith is intersecting with the lived day-to-day -day realities of life. Lord, do I trust that you're going to provide for me? Do I trust that you, my Father, who knows my needs, do I trust that all the challenges in this life that you will see me through? I'm not saying forsake wisdom. I'm saying increase faith. Every time we give, we are reflecting the heart of a generous Father and we're exercising our heart, reminding ourselves, I have a generous Father. It frees us up that we might be generous because he has been first generous with us. So the beginning of this passage started with our stuff problem. <laughs> there was a lot of laughter, laughter of, uh, uh, of mutual understanding, shared experience. 
It went from a stuff problem to decrease anxiety. Now the passage lands in increasing generosity. How do we get there? And what is this passage saying? Very simply, in one sentence, I think this passage is telling us that anxiety becomes generosity or anxiety gives way to generosity not by trusting that I cannot outgive my pile. Are you with me? Anxiety is going to give way to generosity, not by trusting I can't outgive my pile, but I can't outgive my Lord. I can't outgive my Father. I can't, I can't outpace his generosity. I can't outpace his provision. That's the only way. It's the only way that's going to reach past tactics and to the heart. I need this too. Less anxiety, more generosity. And the only way that that's actually going to happen is if I stop looking to my pile for all the deep soul needs that I have and that you have. And once I see that, my hope is not I've got enough in my pile that, okay, now I can be generous. Now I can, now I, I can know that I have value and dignity. Now I, didn't know that I can be safe and secure. No, 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 don't look to your pile. Look to your Lord. It's not that you can't outgive the pile that you have. It's, it's, it's that you can't outgive the Father that you have. Look at the birds. Look at the lilies. See how he provides for them and how much more does he provide for you? How much more is he mindful of you? Because if this was just a message of behavior change, tactic change, self-help, we could throw out some tactics and you and I would leave more anxious than when we came. What I'm aiming for, what I think God's word is aiming for, is speaking into the quietness of the voice that speaks into our ears and speaks to our heart. Who is telling your soul? Who is, who is saying things like, I'll never leave you and forsake you. I will provide for you. I will make straight your paths. I will open doors for you. I will take care of your grandchildren and your children. Who is telling you that the deep places of your heart and soul, you have dignity, you have value, you have honor? Because all of those promises, all of those realities, do you see what those are? Those are God-sized promises that stuff plagiarizes. Stuff says that, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'll provide for you, I'll open doors, I'll take care of your children and grandchildren, but if we look to our pile, we know those are promises that we'll be, we'll be left disappointed, we'll be left wanting. But if the voice on the other side of those promises is God, if it's God, who has the cattle on a thousand hills, who is the creator and owner of all things, who owns everything and created everything, if it's all his, and he's a generous father, who provides for his children, do you not see, do you not see to the extent that we can start to release some of the anxieties, not because they disappear, but because we know that he's holding them more than we are. We can start to release our stuff because we know that we cannot outpace his provision and generosity. What if we actually lived this out? Uh, notice that it wouldn't make us um, chromogeny. It doesn't make 
a community that's curmudgeon Grandpa, can I have an ice cream cone? No, no, no. We invest in the kingdom of God. No ice cream for you. It doesn't create a, kingdom, it doesn't create a community like that. <laughs> it creates a community that says, hey, what a gift. What a gift. I'm going to enjoy this ice cream. Why? Not because my soul needs it, although it's tempting, is it not? But because it's a good gift from my heavenly Father who provides me, everything becomes a gift. Everything becomes a gift from God. Everything becomes an opportunity for God and for others. And anxiety dissipates. Generosity increases. Don't you want to be a community like that? I do. I want to be a person like that. I want to be a family like that. I want to be a church community like that. And if and as we live into this, the level of faith that unlocks generosity, how do you think your family might look different? How do you think our community might look different. How do you think our investment into the kingdom might look different? Could it be that we might even see pockets of gospel renewal because we've been first transformed by the gospel of grace, our generous Heavenly Father who takes care of us by His grace? May it be true. Let's pray. Father, (laughs) Lord, we thank You for Your fatherly patience with us. Um, Lord, we are, as it's been said by another, we are far too easily amused by playing in the puddle, Lord, when we can have an ocean vacation with you, that your presence, your provision, your care is enough. You are enough for me. And Father, I, I pray, I pray for my, my fellow brothers and sisters here today. We've got anxiety. Would you help us, Lord? Would you help by your spirit remind us quietly that you're with us, that you care for us, that you're near for us? And Lord, we've got opportunity. We've got opportunity to invest in your kingdom. Father, help us to take it and see that we're making an investment that lasts forever. May you be glorified, and may your kingdom come. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney, or go to www.bcgurney.org.